Welcome everyone to this, the eighth in the series of podcasts for Thrive London and Good Thinking, London's digital mental wellbeing service. My name's Tracy Parr and I'm Director of Transformation for Good Thinking. These are difficult times and the subject of today's podcast is managing children's safety when the schools are closed and we're in lockdown. I'm going to introduce Dr Richard Graham, our Clinical Director for Good Thinking, who's going to be in conversation with Catherine McAllister, who's the Head of Editorial Standards and Safeguarding at BBC Children's. Over to you, Richard and Catherine. Thank you, Tracy, And thank you, Catherine, for making time to talk with us today. I think I'm very aware that the BBC has made a massive contribution to how young people have engaged with technology over the last two or three decades and have had an incredibly important role in helping young people stay safe and flourish online. With the coronavirus, we're all living differently. And one of the greatest areas we've seen impact is how families are living differently, that children are now receiving education in home, supported by their parents, but delivered through a range of online platforms. Given your knowledge and experience of online safety, I wonder if you could share with our listeners any thoughts about how families might adapt to this new situation they're finding themselves in. We started thinking at BBC Own It, which is our brand dedicated to helping children live their best lives in the digital environment. And we started thinking really very early on as this crisis developed about what it was going to mean for children in the digital world. Mm -hmm. And I think we're really keen to, yes, recognise that there are going to be some elevated risks to children, but also the enormous opportunities that the digital environment offers and how absolutely vital they are to help children stay connected, to help them stay learning, the vital role that digital play can play in their lives. So we're really keen to help children and families balance those two areas. I think that's really helpful for lots of families who are having a really steep learning curve in using all sorts of new tech in terms of the platforms schools are using to deliver the education Mm -hmm. through to those fantastic opportunities for people to stay connected, Mm -hmm. to have FaceTime, to talk with each other when they have to be separate geographically and sometimes for the first time in their lives. Yeah, we had just in our family, we had a ninth birthday party on house party for a young member of the family at the weekend. And it was fantastic. It was not just fantastic for her, it was fantastic for everybody to get together as a family or the extended family together. And that, you know, I mean, if this crisis had happened 15 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to do that. That's an enormous privilege. And also something that most people can access, because I guess going back in time, even telephone calls, which we take for granted now, would have been costly and not easily available Mm -hmm. to everyone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just being able to see people's faces, it makes such a difference. Yeah. So that was something that you as a family found really positive. I guess some of the challenges will also come from young people perhaps being frustrated in terms of being restricted, in terms of being able to go out and meet each other. But of course, they've also been learning to live in a different way than I was able to as a young person by staying in touch with each other through various social media platforms or through games. Are there any changes that you're hearing about through the way they're using these platforms that are are both working well and perhaps not so well? 
I think at the moment, the main thing is that, of course, they are keeping in contact with their friends digitally, which they always did. But now that's the exclusive way that they're keeping in contact with their friends. Yeah. They're not seeing their friends at all in real life at the moment. So it's still fairly early on. And that's what we're seeing. And I think what we're conscious of at this stage is that because it's a frustrating and scary time, that that may well spill over into the social interactions that they're having with their friends. So I think the initial sort of risk, if you want to put it that way, is in the hurtful and damaging things that they might say to each other online, just as a way of blowing off steam. And I think what we're also very conscious of is that often the sort of early signals of significant issues in a friendship group, mm-hmm. your sort of frontline workers, if you like, in picking that up are teachers. Yeah. They will be the ones that will pick up that there's an issue there. But of course, that's not going to happen. So that's an additional sort of thing for parents and carers to be aware of, I think. That's a really helpful point. So whereas a few months ago, a teacher, as you say, might be alert to the tensions within that friendship group and might even do something that supports the resolving of the conflicts between Mm -hmm. the the young people. Now, unfortunately, or perhaps sometimes fortunately, becomes something parents need to be really mindful of and to kind of stay tuned to what's going on in their child's friendship groups. Absolutely. There is a great opportunity here. We've talked for years about the invaluable role that open and honest and regular conversations about digital activity between parents and children, how important that is. And I think this is such a perfect opportunity for it in many ways, because often parents are, you know, they're busy and other things sort of take priority and that can fall by the wayside a little bit because everybody Adults and children are living their lives digitally. Well, this is a perfect opportunity maybe to learn how to have those conversations, to understand what those conversations are. What does it mean to have an open and honest, regular conversation about digital activity? So there's an opportunity there, I think, for parents and children to get into a new routine in that way. I think that's a really helpful point because, in a sense, parents are now having that experience of all of this being normal and ordinary. And it's not then just about how to talk about the difficult issues, whether it's bullying or or something more concerning than that, but actually just having ordinary conversations about your day, which includes whatever was going on through your online activities. Yeah, absolutely. I think get your child to give you a TikTok tutorial or, you know, <laughs> talk you through their favourite channels that they follow on, on YouTube, an opportunity to actually get an understanding of what it means when a child is online, what is it that they're doing, what do they love, what are the opportunities? And then that obviously frees up the conversation then for children to say, I don't like it when this happens or this happens and it's made me feel this way. Yes, it's often been a a sort of criticism, I think, of how we in the public sector have engaged with online risks that young people often say we ignore the positives and all the creativity and all the humour and fun that's going on as well. And so to actually engage with that first allows you then to have a more balanced perspective on, you know, what might be difficult or a problem, but that's not at the expense of the good stuff that happens. Mm. I was also thinking, I presume one of the things that young people are often very worried about is that if they do disclose a problem, then their devices might be removed or restricted at least. And that is one of the, as we know, one of the most important aspects of their life, having access to the online world through a smartphone or tablet, etc. I guess that's going to be much more difficult now for a family to manage when certainly education is going to involve online activity. But as you said, Catherine, just maintaining friendships is going to be absolutely dependent on access to a device and an internet connection. 
So perhaps, again, it's making it a much more ordinary sort of challenge within any family to work out how to manage the problems that can go on. Yeah, I think most parents would find that in the current circumstances to digitally ground a child is going to be as painful for them as it is for the child. <laughs> so that's probably not a route that people want to go down, but it's often not helpful that the access to technology itself is the sort of almost the bargaining chip that's used with the child because yeah. because it's counterintuitive because that will mean that a child will often be too worried that their technology will be taken away from them to be honest with their parent about something that's happened and so you know obviously other behavior management tools need to come into it if the child's sort of you know gone down the wrong path or maybe it's the child who's caused a problem in themselves who caused a problem in the social group but the access to the technology itself is yeah that that can be problematic if that's the thing that's used as the punishment tool yeah yeah and i was also thinking some parents who of course are also happy to work from home as well as manage their child's education and support them in every other way might also be grateful at times that they can get on with some work themselves <laughs> while their child is still able to feel entertained connected or be learning through their devices yeah it's all about that promoting the positive use of technology Again, I think that children are always told about the amazing opportunities that the digital environment offers them and they know them themselves. But often they do default to group chat in WhatsApp and you know YouTube and, and gaming. And now they've got time to widen their digital horizons. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've seen some amazing things on social media myself where children have you know started to do youtube tutorials to learn to play the piano or a keyboard or paint or draw or cook all of these opportunities that are there at their fingertips that's an amazing positive use of technology i think we're hearing this repeatedly that for all the anxiety and all the stress and, and, and painful losses people are living with there is also a firing of the imagination and a sort of growing sense of creative and other skills sort of developing in the midst of this crisis and I think you touch on that very well. Yeah. Just want to ask something about the Own It program that you're very much involved with. At Good Thinking we're trying to help people in these extraordinary circumstances also sort of know where to go to get the right information but also to learn not just new skills in terms of creativity but kind of develop new habits but I guess first and foremost, the BBC, which is one of the most trusted news resources in the world, could play a really helpful part in helping young people understand this crisis, what is coronavirus, and possibly even helping their parents understand better. Could you tell us a little bit about what the BBC are doing for young people in that way? Yeah, so within Newsround, obviously, the raison d'etre is to help children understand the world that they're living in yeah. at all times. Uh -huh. So Newsround is so important in children's lives at the moment. And a sort of wider perspective, BBC Education are obviously really thinking about what they can do to help support children who are not finding themselves in schools and help support their education. Mm -hmm. With respect to Own It itself and how Own It's stepping up to help We've just released a new version of the app, so the Own It app for anybody who doesn't know about it. Mm -hmm. The Own It app is designed to sit on a child's phone and it comes with a custom keyboard and the custom keyboard analyzes what you're typing and then intervenes with help and support if it picks up on fear or anxiety or sadness or a, um, a range of other issues. So it's, it's designed to support a child's digital well-being. 
that it all happens on the phone and the um, messages aren't shared anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So we've just released a new version of it and the keyboard will now also specifically recognise if a child is typing messages that are indicating that they are scared or anxious about any of the things associated with the coronavirus mm. so isolation quarantine social distancing all of those things mm -hmm. and one of the things that i know that everybody is very conscious of is of course that home is not a safe place for everybody mm. often not a safe place for children so children who have the owner app on their phone and are expressing fear and anxiety about being in the home environment, the app will pop up with advice for them about contacting Childline or the NSPCC and helping make sure that they know that they are not alone, that despite the circumstances, help is still available to them. That's a really helpful point to make because, yes, it isn't young people just under stress and anxious. There will be the adults they're living with and mm -hmm. when tensions rise and feeling sort of get out of control I guess the home may not be a safe place for everyone mm -hmm. and so knowing that there will be that sort of prompt that comes from the keyboard if they are expressing any concerns about safety they'll get that connection to information that will lead them to the NSPCC child line to help them understand and, and sort of seek help as they need it that's a mm -hmm. fantastic development and, and absolutely right for the moment. The other thought I had, and, and be interested in your perspective on this, is that we're seeing in health at the moment uh, huge amounts of misinformation that may be colouring attitudes either to testing or, or cures for coronavirus, lots of conspiracy theories. As a trusted information source, is media literacy and helping young people also think about some of the more extreme or distorted information they're receiving? Yes, so BBC Bite Size are actually this week launching a fact check service. It's called Fact or Fake, and that's launching this week. That's generally about disinformation and fake news, as it's commonly known, but it's specifically going to cover stuff about coronavirus and COVID-19 as well. That might be a fantastic resource for the whole family, really, to have that fact-checking facility sort of, again, accessible on every device. So yeah. that's really good news. And of course, as BBC News's established reality check service, which was set up a couple of years ago now, four years ago now, I think, and continues to go from strength to strength. And they, of course, are also specifically producing responses to disinformation about the coronavirus. Fantastic. Just wanted to go back to the well-being aspects of the Own It Happen programme. Given that uh, many of us would have advised young people and their families to spend time outside, exercise, as much as you know, eating well and, and learning how to develop healthy habits for sleep, have you been sort of evolving the content that you've got for young people to sort of attend to the restrictions of the present? I think you did say something about it earlier, but it yeah. might be good to hear a bit more of some of the ideas because, again, boredom can be one of the most challenging aspects of being in a lockdown situation. It can. I mean, one of the things that I always think as well is allow children to be bored sometimes because when they're bored, that's when they'll get creative. Yeah. But we're thinking a lot about inclusive ways to still get children involved in the outdoors because, of course, not all children have got a garden. So it's not helpful to offer garden based yeah. activities. Yeah. It's not possible to set up window boxes now but if children do have window boxes there's stuff that they can do there but one of the features in the own it app 
it's based on something called the digital five a day. Mm-hmm. It's based on the five ways to well-being and it offers sort of simple prompts and tips for children to encourage them to get active, be creative, connect with others, uh, give to others. So we've been adapting those, obviously a focus on get moving, whether that's inside or outside and making the most of your activity outside when you do go outside for that one exercise a day to make sure that you're making the most of that. Yeah, It's such a great time of the year, I think, in many ways, if this was going to happen you'd have it happen in spring yeah. because even just looking out of your window at the birds you know is is really stimulating so we're sort of thinking about all of those just little things that you can remind children to think about or to do that can help them yes we've been learning from specialists in sleep medicine as well as well-being experts about the importance of nature that even being able to sit by a window yeah. to let natural daylight in is incredibly helpful for your body clock and doing it as early as possible in the day can make that bit of a difference to how well you're sleeping. But I I, I love the idea that, you know, at a time where people are often feeling overwhelmed and, and sometimes not really having that space in their minds to take in too much information, that the tips might help a young person do something fun or creative or possibly, again, their parents get an idea of, of what to do that might be a bit more sort of exciting or interesting for, for their children to engage with. That sounds terrific. I guess just going back to the issue of safety, though, I mean, one of the things the ONITAP does, as I understand it, is also sort of help and support young people if their friendship groups or other online issues are occurring. I wonder if you could tell us a bit more about how the keyboard and other aspects of the app again, might give a little bit of extra support and confidence to parents who may not always understand exactly what's going on. Yeah, sure. So the keyboard that comes with the Ownit app, it uses machine learning technology, quite cutting edge machine learning technology. And it detects the sentiment of messages that the child is typing, as well as indicators of fear or anxiety or, you know, emotional distress. And so in terms of children who are spending a lot of time in the group chat, at the moment Mm -hmm. I think it's particularly helpful because it pings up with just gentle little nudges Mm -hmm. if you type a message that might be you might have only meant it as a joke or you might have meant it as a way to blow off steam and to be a little bit mean it just pops up with a little nudge sort of saying are you sure you want to say that that might be a little bit mean and it gives the child the opportunity to change it if they want to and then it will also pop up with messages saying it sounds like you're scared or it sounds like you're anxious. Mm-hmm. It also pops up with responses to a range of safeguarding issues. So that might be body image or eating disorders or self-harm or some of the more serious stuff it will recognize those triggers and then pop up with specific advice again it's always encouraging the child to either talk to a parent or carer or contact the nspcc or child line if they feel there's nobody that they can talk to in their own lives so that's the keyboard that comes with the app and then once you've downloaded the app you're encouraged to check in with it a couple of times a day and you can self-report how you feel you open the app, it offers you a range of emojis, you pick the one that matches how you're feeling and then you can add a little diary note so you can talk about why you're feeling particularly happy today or why you're not feeling particularly happy today. That will go into a little diary note so you can look back on that and then you can reflect on the things that in the past have either made you feel good or the things that made you feel not so good. And again, the app delivers 
content to you. So content based on your activity on the keyboard that it's picked up on. So for example, the most common one I get from my app is you've been spending a lot of time on your phone late at night. That's the, that's the one that I get the most, most commonly. Or there will be just general well-being and digital well-being tips and advice from you know all the sorts of performers and artists that children relate to most so there's amazing content in there as you would expect from it is a bbc app so you'd expect it to have some great content in there and it is absolutely stuffed with great content and then there's the own it website as well which gives us such a wider range of anything to do with the digital world there's a whole range of articles and videos and tips and advice on the own it website as well So in addition to exploring how to be creative on social media, it sounds to me like a lot of families would get a great deal of value from looking both at the Ownit site overall and all the resources you've got, but also actually learning how to explore and use the app in a way that could be there, as you say, like a diary and the keyboard, like a good friend that works out how you're feeling and kind of nudges you if you're going too far in the wrong direction, but also supports some gives you a nice message if you're doing well on something. So it sounds like a fantastic resource for parents and young people to engage with. Yeah, I think it's really valuable. It's designed to be a private personal space for the child to reflect, for them to learn from their mistakes, for them to develop resilience. And I think it is for, you know, children sort of aged maybe 8 to 10, 8 to 11. I think it's an excellent resource for them. And what's also great about it, as far as I can understand, Catherine, is that The child does that privately. It's not shared with anyone. They're not exposed or embarrassed by anything. And it's just privately there supporting them in their learning and development. That's correct. Yeah, they can use it safe in the knowledge that it's a private space. None of the messages that they're typing or the help that they're asking for is not shared with the BBC or with anyone else. It's completely private. Yeah, that's a great message for a lot of young people. I think many of them grown up almost with the belief that uh, or being told that they're digital natives and should know how to do everything online almost straight away without any learning but all of us whether we're six months old or 60 years old are learning how to adapt to new developments and changes Mm -hmm. in the way we're, we're living together through the online world yeah i think it's often such an unhelpful phrase digital natives I think it almost puts so much responsibility onto the child themselves and so much expectation on the child themselves and what does it really mean well a child may be more technically proficient may be more technically proficient than a parent although you know often for young parents that's not even the case anymore but it certainly doesn't mean that a child is any better able to deal with friendship issues or unwanted contact or even the child themselves engaging in behaviours online that they later regret, they're no better equipped to deal with that than an adult would necessarily be. That's sort of something that comes with experience and knowing that you're in a supportive environment and that you can talk to your parent or carer about anything in that sort of open and honest way. I'd just like to ask one last question in relation to the BBC's particular sort of knowledge of areas of children's lives. I guess for many, many years now, the BBC has learned how to support those young people that are very creative. They may be very talented performers, acting, dancing, musically successful. Do you think there are any things parents might need to be a little bit aware of? Uh, I think we were hearing from Ofcom earlier in the year that a lot of children now are desperate to become creators or e-gamers, that they see success in the world as 
being successful online. And of course, here we are now in a situation where that's almost the only way they can be. Do you think there are any messages for parents about striking the right balance between that creativity and not neglecting other areas of life? Yeah, I think, you know, again, it's something to be encouraged if a child wants to explore that. I think you need to manage expectations with a child because becoming Instagram famous is, you know, in many ways as, as difficult as becoming famous in the traditional old media sense. And I think also that one of the things that we're hearing a lot about from content creators, from influencers, from vloggers is about this creator burnout because the relentless drive to produce new content in order for the algorithms to work for you and to, to make sure that your followers see your content as I say, it's it's relentless and it can be very wearing for, well, for anyone, but for young people in particular. So I think that that's something that parents need to be aware of as well. And, you know, to be involved, I think, you know, it's always about being involved and taking an interest. So just as you would take an interest if, if your child was, you know, interested in football and a parent would be going to the football matches and watching from the sidelines, etc. Mm-hmm. I think it's about thinking about, well, what's the digital environment equivalent of that? How do I show that same support and care and interest in the digital environment that I would if this was a, a sort of real life physical world activity? Yeah, I think that's very helpful. And in the same way that any talented young sports person would not be able to neglect their education, mm-hmm. nor sort of ignore, you know, those five ways to well-being, including yeah. all the physical things we need, like eating regularly and a good night's sleep, that, that having that balance, but also being supportive of this great opportunity for young people to express themselves first. And then, of course, creating in all sorts of new and imaginative ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for sharing those insights. I suspect we may want to talk with you again as the situation evolves, both within every family, uh, within every town and and city in the country. Mm -hmm. We've developed a bit of a healthy habit ourselves in these podcasts, which is to ask the person we're talking to to share some things that might help us understand them as a person that hopefully isn't just of interest to our listeners, but also brings a bit of lightness to what young people are also recognising is a frustrating situation, but also an opportunity. So what we've tended to ask is, if you were about to go into lockdown or isolation and could take three prominent famous people with you, who would you take in to make that period a bit more bearable? You know, I've been working my brains about this (laughs) and we're now into week three, coming into week four of lockdown. And what I've realised, as hard as I thought, I couldn't think of a single person (laughs) I would like like to take into lockdown. And what I realised was that actually, if I know that the lockdown has an end date, just me. Thanks. Right. (laughs) I I can't think of a single famous person I would like to be locked up with as long as I can stay in contact with them digitally if I can message people and so what I thought was who would I like to have at the end of Zoom uh-huh. rather than locked in with me? Yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. And I came up with Jurgen Klopp because as a Liverpool fan, obviously he is our saviour at the moment, but I also think he's very inspiring and very calming. And so he'd, he'd be good to have on the end of Zoom to talk me down from anxiety. Uh-huh. And I would also like to have, I think, Serena Williams, just because I generally stan her, as the kids would say. I think she's <laughs> amazing, uh, amazingly inspirational. Yeah. And has come back from such tribulations let's say she's an incredibly inspirational person 
And I would also like to have Donald Trump, but just <laughs> so I could distract him from doing anything else, tweeting public announcements, and then hopefully let sensible people get on with dealing with the actual crisis. <laughs> so that would be a public service to the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. And good luck with engaging him. Many have tried, but I, I think you'll make a lovely point that, again, is one of those surprising discoveries that some people are finding, that as we are sort of less busy with travel and work activities, there is a bit more space. There's a pause in what we are able to do that's also quite nice. And it isn't just about cramming new activities, learning new things, actually just being able to stop for a bit is also good for our well-being. Mm. So keeping them on Zoom, on tap in that way, a good idea, but it sounds like you're enjoying a bit of space and time in your life. <laughs> Trying to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll move on from that then and perhaps ask you if there was some media, and that can be a book, piece of music, film, recording of a sporting event, even a play, I guess. Is there anything like that that would be nice to have in there with you? Can I only have one? Well, let's see how we get past one, and then we'll, we'll think about <laughs> flexibility. Okay. Well, my favourite book of all time, which I have read more times than I can count, um, which I um, am about to turn to again, is The Mill on the Floss by George Eliot. Uh-huh. A beautiful depiction of childhood and how when you're a child, the smallest things can feel like the end of the world. And I, I think it really helps me remember what that feels like when you're a child. Mm-hmm. So that would be my book. And I'd also take a recording of Liverpool winning the Champions League last year. Okay. Well, I think given that you're not taking the famous people into isolation with you, we could allow you additional media. So you've got food for the heart and mind and that wonderful way of connecting back to our younger selves and something uplifting that reminds you that almost in every situation there's the opportunity to achieve and win and, yeah, celebrate. Mm -hmm. So that sounds like a a lovely combination. Mm -hmm. I think given all of that, we should also allow you a luxury. Any thoughts on what luxury? There is a wine that we drink when we go to southern Italy, and you can't get it over here. They don't export it, really. So we only drink it when we're in southern Italy. So I would have a case of that red wine, so that whenever I opened it and had a glass, I'd be transported to the olive groves of Puglia. That's a really interesting suggestion because I think there's a lot of research now how smell and some of those mm-hmm. aspects of our senses that we often you know, ignore in a world that's so rich with visual media mm-hmm. actually does help us reminisce and transport us back. So Absolutely. I think a creative wine from Italy sounds like a very nice thing. <laughs> and uh, if you could share that over Zoom I might join you Catherine (laughs) (laughs) absolutely as for now I'd just like to thank you again for your time I think as you know the work the BBC have always done for children and in my life you know going back to watch with mother you know a very clever phrase to show the engagement and involvement of parents and children together has been for a long time and may continue to be with us for a long time. So thank you for your time. And given the way we're all living, finding new ways of living, I think it's often been described, maybe nice to check in with you from time to time to hear what you're learning about what's going on in the online lives of young people today. Thank you. I'd be delighted. Thank you.